Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. Jason and I always used to, or usually talk a bit before um, we record, just to catch up and kind of prep. So um, Jason has graciously volunteered to um, sing various Pink Floyd songs in the voice of Elmer Fudd this episode. Looking um, for love. <laughs> no, I, I joke, but but long story behind it. But now, if you haven't already in your head, start singing Pink Floyd songs in Elmer Fudd's voice. You've been warned. Yeah, you've you've been been warned. warned. It's addicting. Yeah. So, all right, now that I've gotten that out of the way, um, we all, you know, we talk a lot about Trek. For those that you are who follow us on Twitter or see us on Twitter, we follow and and read a lot of Trek. Um, We just recently obviously talked with with Kelly Fitzpatrick, who was, um, who has written for the Shackleton Expanse and has been involved with Modiphius in writing. Yeah, she was just great. She's great. We just got through and we, we took a nice switch um, and talked with... Um, Malcolm Shepard. Malcolm from uh, Green Ronin. We learned how to say it correctly. That's right. Thank you, sir. Green Ronin, thank you. And that was a fascinating interview, and mm-hmm. I want I want both of them back, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Malcolm in modern age, I really, I would love to see him um, GM a modern age. Center. Right. I just am right. fascinated. So Malcolm, if you're listening, I'm begging. I just want to be a fly on the wall when you're doing it. That's yep. all. Yeah. Today, um, this is a big one. Not that any others aren't. Yep. All of them have been big ones, but this is a, this is another one. Um, and um, this is one I think we've been teasing a little bit just because of yeah. us being Star Trek nerds. And it's mm-hmm. Chris Birch, who is the CEO and publisher of Modiphius. That's right. Um, he was gracious enough there. He's obviously overseas um, in Great Britain. Us being here, we were able to find a time yep. that worked for him yep. and us. Um, so um, we, we did not have enough time with him he was so busy and we it was is a busy time we have to have him back and he was very gracious with his oh, time yeah. uh, and it was, it's it's coming up in a little bit everybody it's a fascinating interview yeah and jason will do the intro here shortly and and talk a little bit about his background but he has a fascinating background even beyond what he has written down i mean just listening to his story his life story and how he got into this which you'll hear during the interview. Um, just a great interview. And it kind of coincides with something I had started um, a couple weeks ago, and I've been doing it slowly, and that was really reading through um, the core rule book and then picking up at the same time and starting to go through um, kind of at the same time, not necessarily chapter by chapter because it doesn't it doesn't slink, sync up that way, but looking at the Klingon rule book. Yeah, you've been a real fan of that. I've been a real fan of that. I just got through doing some of um doing some further review of the Shackleton Expanse book which we talked about with mm-hmm. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um I made a grave error in just assuming that it was 23rd century material. And there is 24th century material. You can play this in the TNG universe. Oh yeah. And it talks about that. But I had it in my head that you, that it was really just strictly more for 
if you played in the in the in the TOS timeline. See, I think that's what they've done exceptionally well. I mean, they're they're even reaching a little bit into 32nd century stuff. Like they're really they're really getting it done. And they obviously, you know, you heard Kelly talk, they have a close relationship with Paramount. Yeah. Um nothing that they're doing that Modifius publishes or does um all of what it does, let me rephrase that, goes through uh, Paramount. Mm-hmm. So to. we can assume, you know, <clears throat> everything we're reading and everything like that is not, in theory, out of canon material. Right. I mean, you know? like Shackleton, like you and I talked about this, right, That, And we talked a lot about it online. Shackleton Expanse might not be canon. It might be soft. But without question, the Player's Handbook and the GM Guide are clearly soft canon, right? I mean, yeah. canon in all but name. And it was approved, all of this was approved by Paramount, mm-hmm. who obviously owns the, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, they own the timeline now. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, and if you want to argue based off of recent episodes of certain shows, they own the Trek multiverse now. So, um, <laughs> everybody has a multiverse. These everybody days. has a multiverse. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. So, um, you know, for me, I've been a fan. Jason knows this. Jason is a Jason runs rings around me with with Star Trek knowledge. Never heard of it. Fandom. Um, I've always been a big fan. I remember going to see one of my first movies was Search for Spock. So that kind of dates oh, me yeah. a little bit. I didn't get to see Khan in theater until they re-released it. Oh um, wow. And I remember watching, I was one of the few, I think you mentioned too, I was one of the few that really liked the motion picture. I, I loved it as a kid, and I still do, and I'm, I'm kind of curious to watch the remaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am too. And, and, and you know, there was always the, the air quote adage that, you know, the even ones were great movies, the odd ones weren't. Um, I would argue one's an exception. The original's an exception. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Khan is great. Voyage Home is great. Undiscovered Country is fantastic. Yep. I mean, if you watch Undiscovered Country now, and I'm 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 off the I'm off the the rails, rails. a little bit, but yep. um, if you watch Undiscovered Country now, in the country we live in now, mm-hmm. um, hopefully you can watch it with a with a broader view. Yeah and a broader vision because I think it talks of an idealism that looks, looks like fantasy that has looked like fantasy, but I think they speak to it as a reality. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, yeah. but, but that's what's, I mean, we've talked about this, Brad, Star Trek yeah. has always been good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of sci-fi's thing, but whereas, whereas like Star Wars has never been one for social commentary. Yeah. Uh, uh, Star Trek always has been. It's always been a reflection, and those those movies, right? The good ones, like like Six, they hold up. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and um, I, uh, you know, when they first announced, you may have been the one that told me that they there was a new RPG coming out. I'm not 100 percent oh, sure. Yeah, I was watching that for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and honestly, just hoping it wouldn't suck. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we, I don't, I don't I, yeah, we've talked about that, but just, yeah. just hoping it wouldn't, I, I, not to be crass to, you know, sorry to, to all the other previous publishers, but, but I was just hoping we wouldn't get another Star Trek RPG that sucked. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even the, we, the we have the, we have material from, yeah, we went um, through it from last unicorn and all that right it's been it's kept been it's kept more for nostalgia's sake than anything right. else there's not a lot of material in there that's at least any use of any use no no modifius is extraordinarily oh. has been from an rpg perspective extraordinarily thorough i think the one thing well first of all uh the 2d20 system mm-hmm. um we both liked it but we preferred other systems more and it was yep. really kind of the onus behind us doing this exercise of creating Trek with the Genesis uh, system. Yeah, yeah the, the the Genesis Edge Studio narrative dice system. Yep. It's not a slight on anyone. It's not a nope. slight on Modifius. It's more no. of an exercise because we're Trek nuts. And yep. Star Wars is already in that system. So, yep. but the more I read, obviously, Jay Little, mm-hmm. who is literally the... I don't even know what the the, the king of the, dice, the professor of dice, you know, right? The preeminent designer. He did. He did the Star Trek, the Star Wars. I'm yep. sorry. Yep. Edge of the Empire mm-hmm. RPG. Mm-hmm. So he obviously had his hand in the narrative dice system. Yep. He did X-wing miniatures. Mm-hmm. Um, he built this 2D20 system. Right. And it's used in a lot of. Um, Modifius RPGs. Yeah. Um, you know, I have the Star Trek Adventure stuff, and then thanks to Black Friday, I have the Mutant Chronicles stuff. Right. Yeah. And I've been read reading that. it. And the more I read, because you kind of asked me about this, and then I said, I'll, I'll wait and we'll, because sometimes you and I get talking so much that we probably waste half a show talking before we record. Yes. The 2D20 system has grown on me. Because okay. I think I'm thinking of us how we're playing Star Wars, um, how we're working with Genesis. The 2D20 system feels very complementary to the Wizards D20, the five, the, what is now the five E system. It's like uh-huh. a, it's like a close cousin, uh-huh. and there's a speed to it. Yeah, that I like that runs a little counter to FF to. Edge Studios, Star uh-huh. Wars. Uh-huh. Not a bad thing. No. Just different. So, you know, it will be interesting for us to play Genesis Star Trek and then use one of... I've Anytime there's free RPG day, I grab the right. stuff that Modifius and other Absolutely. For us to play just one of those free RPG starter... Yeah, we have to try that and actually try the 2D20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think we want to... I think we're going to want to compare because I think that also would be a great episode... Star Trek between the systems. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yes. Yes. So that's that's been that's been my big takeaway from reading the core rule books is that I have a really a newfound respect and interest, especially stepping out of Star Trek and looking at Mutant Chronicles in the two D twenty system. It certainly has a following, has a lot of fans. Yeah. Um I know we we both by the time you all are here listening to this have received um, the new Modifius uh, game master and players guides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Modifius has been on a roll. Oh man! 
in terms of material. Dune, um, you know, they brought out, they have John Carter of Mars. Uh, mm-hmm. The movie didn't do all that well here in the States, although I think it's entertaining. Um, they have Homeworld, which, I, you know, for me, I, you know, there's a video game. I don't know if you, I, I forgot to post, send this to you today. Um, Homeworld, the video game is now Homeworld, the RPG. Interesting. Modifius, Modifius See, publishes it. There's so much of that now going on, right? So much of that where they are reciprocating and reiterating one to the other of of tabletop coming well historically tabletop feeding into you know computer rpgs but but now it's i mean you know i mean my god now now there's a halo series coming out now i've never played halo but uh when i saw that the series was coming out and i saw the first trailer I thought that looks sufficiently compelling. Let me get into the Wikipedia article on Halo. So 14 hours later, uh, you know, it's it's like, oh, yeah, this looks really interesting. It's basically Metroid on steroids. I may have just dated myself because I'm no, no, no. About, that that's that's I, kind of really I'm talking about Metroid on my Game Boy. But go on. No, no, no. You're you're yeah. right. I mean, whether it's your Game Boy or your 3DS or your DS, whatever, you know. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. But oh, but it, it, it I can't remember the name of the character from Metroid. I know I'm blocking too. That's that's we're failing at the and, and I've and I have I'm using an older keyboard that sounds like a a jackhammer when I type it. So I definitely can't do any typing no, no. during it. But but um, but but, it, but it, it's what you said. It's it's there are so many influences now across gaming phenomena. Well, you, you know, even going to Modifius's website, they are coming out with a Skyrim adventure game. Okay, Elder Scrolls yeah. Skyrim okay. is a phenomenally designed open world video game. Right. And not only that, Elder Scrolls um, Online has a huge following. I've only so, played the Skyrim Extra Special Edition on my Alexa Dot. Okay. And it's, it's so, Oh, hilarious. that's right. I forgot it's about It's really that. good. Yeah. yeah. So they're really doing a good job. They have Fallout. It's to me one of the things that I would love to ask Chris if we had time, and if we don't, we're going to have to ask the next yep. time. Is this idea behind taking video games, yeah, video games and making them analog games? Because we asked him how how are you guys getting all of this IP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Fallout, Skyrim, Dune, yep. Homeworld. Yep. Star Trek. You know, I mean, okay. So, okay, indulge me for a sec here before we get into the interview. Yeah. So, because we've we've kind of danced around this topic in the past, I don't know, a few months of episodes. But whereas, like, I think back to when we were kids, teens. Okay. Um, kind of the end of uh, the end of one of the heydays of sci-fi. Of, of, of good sci-fi. Well, maybe not a ton, but like I'm thinking like you've got Star Trek TNG, you've got Quantum Leap, which is kind of pushing the limits of sci-fi, but but you know what I mean. And, and got, being rebooted, by the way. And be, yeah, we'll see about that. Well, I, I'm, I'll watch. I, I'll check it out. We'll see. Because mm-hmm. um, we haven't even talked Foundation yet. And one of my daughters and I have been tearing through it. I thought I'd give it a try. And it's Before we go so, any further, yep. thumbs up. Big thumbs, thumbs up. up. 
Okay, Big then I'm going to, I know what I'm watching um, tonight then. But you know what, so, so in fact, I was, right, because our listeners don't know, right, I was five minutes late to recording because my daughter and I had to finish episode six as we record this, and when I go back upstairs, we're probably going to hit episode seven, because <laughs> um, they're, okay, I, sorry guys, we'll Which have one, a just foundation a, episode. Just, uh, you're hearing us talk, you're, this is, we're breaking the fourth wall, but um, oldest or youngest daughter is the fan? Oh, younger. Oh, okay. Younger. It's it's interesting. I that's another offline conversation. It's interesting. Um it's 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 well you've got kids, you know. They're the same. Well that's same. it's I'm just it, fascinated by the idea of of is there something that I could get my daughter. This was organic. This was no one else was around and she was bored and she was a captive audience on the couch. Uh but I'll I'll tell you, you know what what really what really I think helped to sell it for both of us, especially her. And then, then I'm going to get off this because I was, yeah. I'm going somewhere with this. Yeah. Uh, is, and I say this as a devout, devout reader of Asimov, right? His, you and I have talked about this for years. Oh, His, yeah. The Foundation series, the Robot series. Uh, I mean, Empire, great. But th- this all was, was like formative, for me uh as as a kid and still is to my thinking um but but asimov you know he you think back to how he wrote in the time in which or i guess the times because he wrote like 400 books over how many decades but now you watch the show the amount of diversity is maybe the best I've seen in any show. And most of the protagonists are women. And so for my rather socially astute daughter, they both are, but for for this one, certainly uh, to see this, it was, it was something that could hook her. And of course, then poor kid, she's, you know, next to her in the background is this occasional pausing while her father it like narrates like this is what this is about. Oh. And and blah blah blah. But but because the show is so different. Um, anyways, we'll we'll ha- we'll get to a point where we're gonna talk about foundation. But my point, Brad, was sorry, because yeah. we well, I was gonna say you got me off topic, but I think I didn't get any help. No, that my, was my fault. My, okay, good. My point is that that whereas when we were kids, teens, preteens, certainly, you you had you know you had sci-fi in and fiction in kind of different pockets. What happened in movies happened in movies. What happened on TV on cable, yeah. you know, happened there. What you saw in your games, you know, you lucked out. You lucked out with the you know like Star Wars, but that was still. That was still like what ninety one when the 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 second edition came out. Um, these were separate magisteria, and now we're seeing this hybridization. It's like it's like computers, right? You or like phones, even better. You have all these wonderful worlds, and they're occurring across not fundamental different formats, but just different formats and whether it's media. on the it's right a different there's media right and, yeah. it, and and then it doesn't matter like it matters no and and you know i remember i never played um neither of us really played collectible card games um i think we no. each had kind of a 
couple starter sets of some Star Wars. I got a a magic starter set that um never played and I'm not it's no disrespect. I've never just, played I've never played magic. No, and and I've and I'm just I'm not a part of the reason I'm not I don't play card games is my um uh, propensity to collect. So the last thing I want to do is start collecting a collectible card game. Oh yeah, that uh, would not be especially the living card games. Yeah, like Keyforge. I, I, I mean, you'd need a second job I would, just to keep up the habit. I I will say that I did some of that with Lord of the Rings. But, okay. Um, sold off the Lord of the Rings stuff a couple years ago in mass, and so yeah, I need to. Yeah. I, I need to. It, it, card games are fantastic. There's a strategy, not my thing. No. Um, but I remember. When the Pokemon game, Pokemon games, however you pronounce it, came out. No, no, I think it's uh, you. You gave Pokemon. it a good Pokemon. West Dallas German town sound. It's the Pokemon. Okay, I wasn't going <laughs> to do like it, that. but you did it. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. So those games came out, and there were like complementary versions, like red and blue, or something like that. Okay. And you could sync in effect. I don't know how it worked, but you could share your Pokemon across the games or with other people or whatever the case was. Okay. And that was my first view of, okay, wait a second. Now we're seeing in effect, I'll call it, this is not the right word, but media bleed. Yeah. Where we're seeing a crossover and now, you know, it'll be interesting. This is almost like another topic and we'll, and then we'll move on because we have more important things. But the idea that, and Modifius is not the only one that does this. No. But, you look at their 2D20 RPGs. Yep. That's their signature dice mechanic. And then you look at their games and everything else. Um, Elder Scrolls, like I said, Fallout. Fallout was, you know, for those, most of you probably know this, but Fallout um, is a well-known um, RPG set in uh, post-apocalyptic yep. Earth. Yep. All these games... Are coming out that were video games and are mm-hmm. now coming out as either tabletop games or role-playing games tabletop yeah. like miniature games or role-playing games yeah. i think is awesome because i'm a little burned on doing a ton of video gaming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you and i talked about this i don't do that yeah. anymore not in a long time i think the one's the last time you really played a full game was that alpha centauri i mean i mean like you played through no it was um no actually that but pretty close i had watched i had watched um sid meyer's uh uh oh man i'm sorry what what was the name i you know i was big thank you beyond earth uh i thank you i watched i i finished i i played through Easy setting, but I played through Beyond Earth to Transcendence. Shocking. And then I did it, I think, again with uh, Rising Tide because they it really was a major improvement. And then the spinoff, Starships, on yes. the iPad was just so much fun. But but these were things that I did. I, I mean, it was very, very finite. Basically, once I had kids, my video gaming days were done. Yeah, I mean, and, and and it was very short spurts where we talk about it. We'd play, you know, we yeah, right. maybe play for a week. And then exactly that was it. right. We just didn't have time. But now, it's new medium. Yeah, it's the video game in a form that we grew up with. Yeah, even in the age of Nintendo and Sega, and yep. Sega, you know, Genesis, Dreamcast, Super Nintendo. 
yeah. whatever the case is. Yeah. Remember, you and I used to sit, and our friend Scott used to sit in and play Super Nintendo. We'd play Super Star Wars and Super Empire Strikes Back. Oh. And, you know, so there was where the game, and we saw this as, you know, with E.T. as bad as it was with Atari. The movies Red went to video to games. Yeah, yes. the video game became the movie. Yeah. You know, and so and you now know, it, we're seeing it all muddled with all these multiverses. Yeah. Oh, so you had to do it, didn't you? Don't not just. Yeah. Well, not, let's we'll, let's, yeah, let's we'll let that, that go for tonight. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I will. We'll, we won't get into my issue with the quote multiverse in general, but um, it might sound like we're wandering everybody, but we're not because this is this is kind of where Chris took us. Uh, so without any more ado, uh, let's transition over to our fascinating interview with chris birch chris birch if you don't already know is the publisher and founder of modifius entertainment chris founded modifius after running video games fashion label joystick junkies for 13 years and before that working in the dance music industry managing bands tours and club nights Chris first played D&D and Steve Jackson's Ogre when he was nine and grew up on a diet of RPGs, war games, and board games before writing Star Blazer Adventures and, wouldn't you know it, founding Modifius. And so with that, we invite you to sit down with us and Mr. Chris Birch for a wide-ranging, fascinating conversation. Well, I think we mentioned this in our last session, but... Um, we told you to get ready for our next interview and, um, we have the founder of Modifius and its chief creative officer. And Chris, you're going to have to correct my pronunciation if I'm too American with this, but, <laughs> you are. uh, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, Chris Birch. Did I get that yes. right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Got it. Let's so see. yeah, just Birch like a tree. Okay. Perfect. I, I, I didn't ask beforehand. So we talked real briefly before we hit record here, folks, um, just to, to wax political a little bit mm -hmm. and so on. But we wanted to save and we wanted to get right into recording because obviously, Chris, you've been extraordinarily busy. Um, you have got, and for lack of a better term, an awesome portfolio of games and such. And we want to make sure we obviously touch on Star Trek because Jason and I are huge Star yeah. Trek fans. And we also want to touch on others that are yeah, in your- Because there's so much. There's so much. Yeah. So how did you how did you start? What was the 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 onus behind starting Modifius? Um, I, well, I had a, a fashion company beforehand um, called Joystick Junkies that made lots of video games clothing. And my goal was to make such cool video games clothing that people who hated video games grudgingly had to wear it because it was the coolest thing. <laughs> oh, that's actually cool. And <laughs> I just loved that idea that someone's like, oh, but I hate spacing oh, bloody video games. And then they're wearing a video games t-shirt and mm -hmm. someone goes, do you realize you're wearing a t-shirt based on Atari? And they'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but that was the, that was my kind of stupid challenge. Um, I did that for 13 years, but then wow. by the end, I'd literally been there and bought the T-shirt. And I, I, I didn't love fashion. I remember meeting a girl who had a T-shirt, a clothing company, a fashion company, and she said she'd met this woman from the British Fashion Council and who was looking at a catalogue. And, she, and she's like, oh, that's really nice. She said, oh, we're not making 
that pink thing anymore. Oh, I couldn't live without the pink. <laughs> like I've never, I've never said I couldn't live without the pink. Uh, so yeah, I never woke up dreaming of, you know, lengths of cotton and how cool it would be to use a new, new designer garment. Yeah, I, I was a video gamer. So I was like, I get to make cool clothing based on video games and do yeah. fun photo shoots and parties. So it was, um, that was, um, you know, a long roundabout way of getting to doing games. And it was because yeah. Kickstarter came along that suddenly being able to do something in tabletop gaming yeah. was financially viable because, you know, it's the big joke. How do you make a small fortune in tabletop gaming is start with a big fortune. Right. And um, many people did um and you know and it was or its companies that had been there for donkey's years so uh when kickstarter came along i thought we would just do this little project me and my wife would just keep working and i could then maybe do a, a day or two days of the week at home working on this um gaming world and it was so successful that we brought in like um about three hundred thousand dollars and wow like okay i'm leaving see ya all and uh but I, you know, I was happy to move on and it was the right time. And uh, so we started the business and, and never looked back. And that was two of us in a basement flat, me and my wife, Rita, who wow. did everything else that I didn't do. You know, I was doing the, you know, kind of marketing and promotion and organizing people. And then she was doing all the accounts and customer service. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she still looks like she's head of, um, you know, she's, chief financial officer now and, and um now we've got 55 people which is insane yes. what what year was that chris that it uh, Medifius formally started uh 2013 we started in 2012 selling a couple of acton cthulhu pdfs for mm-hmm. savage mm-hmm. world call of cthulhu and um uh just um, you know had we sold about a thousand copies of each which at that time was also unheard of it helped that i'd run a pr company before and i was yeah we we did one of the first internet pr well i was one of the first internet pr companies in the uk i think on the planet and um did lots of work for video games companies so i knew how to go out there and get fans and reach Mm -hmm. people and Mm -hmm. and talk to people um you know pr is free it just takes time and most people don't yeah. want to, don't want the effort. So I was able to get this a lot of, you know, a lot of people signed up. Um, and so when we started the, the Kickstarter, you know, we had a really good start. So I, I asked that because, so as this episode airs, that's only eight-ish years ago. And Modifius yeah. is already, I mean, that's incredible. And Modifius is already, I think by any meaningful metric, one of the major RPG producers on the planet. That's no small yeah, feat. It shows what you can do if you love what you do. And yeah. uh, I've always, uh, one of the first great pieces of advice given to me, I was road managing a British pop star called David Grant when I was in my early 20s, which was in the early 90s, long, long time ago. And he said, Chris, there's probably six jobs you can do really well and only one you'll starve for. And, um, you know, gaming was the, you know, tabletop gaming was the thing that I truly loved and I'd mm-hmm. kind of circled around it, never really done anything officially because I was doing other jobs that, that I also loved, uh, but I thought they were, you know, I, I thought tabletop gaming wasn't any money in it yeah. until, you know, Kickstarter came along and we yeah. thought actually we could make a go of this. And, um, you know, with the fashion company, at our height, you know, we were pretty successful in most of the big fashion stores and we were in 
hot topic in America in urban <laughs> outfitters and all the big all the big boutique stores in the UK. We had celebrities wearing our stuff. Um, um, so uh, and at the height we had like eight people, and wow. yeah. um, with Modifius we were at eight after three years and. Like I said, now we're at 55. Incredible. So, and, and there's probably, I mean, we've got about 200 freelancers. That which, was my next question. Yeah. Probably 20 of them are literally doing whatever, you know, are not working for anyone else. They're just solidly working for us. And a Jeez. lot of the rest are working large amounts of time for us. So it's um, incredible. It's, you know, role playing games and miniature games are very people, um, uh, very people intensive. So um, it uses a lot of, lot of manpower or woman mm. and person power mm. to to get that to create great games yeah i mean the we you know one of the things we heard was you know creative writing and then creative writing in a role-playing format two different things i mean you still it's still creative but there's a different yeah. environment now i, I creative you know, rules writing and creative world writing yeah 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 man yeah and mm. world building yeah um yeah. What so the the question it's going to come up between Jason and I in, in mm-hmm. any moment anyway. How did you end up working through and partnering up with Viacom, CBS, Paramount to get the license for Star Trek? Yeah, because they're a big one. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, um, no, I'd done lots of licensing for Joystick Junkies, so I knew um, okay. I knew the video games companies. I knew how to talk to big licensees and what they want to hear in your licensing pitch. Cause you can't just go in and go, Hey, can I use your property? And I've got a garage and I'm going to just sell the books out of my garage. Right. <laughs> um, you need to have a business and a plan and a proposal. And you know, th- their lawyers are not going to be interested if you offer them a few hundred bucks, like you've mm-hmm. got to come mm-hmm. in with a serious pitch. Mm-hmm. But um, so we started, you know, our first license was Mutant Chronicles. We rebooted that for uh, Cabinet Entertainment. Um, then we, um, that, you know, that was the f- next thing we did after Acton Cthulhu that launched the business. We then got the rights to Thunderbirds, the British. Um, That's so cool. Show. Um, <laughs> I loved that as a kid. Oh, I oh, know. It's awesome. yeah. oh my God. It's, you can see where George Lucas got the idea for dirty sci-fi from because all those oily looking X-Wings and um, other ships, the, X, the Millennium Falcon, you know, I, if you look at Thunderbirds, I all that oily that. looking sci-fi machines, yeah. right? Just looks so, makes complete sense. Oh man. So, sci-fi was all clean and pristine before, mm-hmm. before, before Star Wars. Um, yeah, so I think he probably, or whoever the production designers were, because there was a lot of British production designers. Right. They were there was mm-hmm. probably a lot of uh, Thunderbirds people because they were also some yeah. of the best production designers around at the time. Um, so, um, um, God, I've lost completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, you just will do that. Yeah, oh, you the, blew my mind about the, the Thunderbirds. Um, so the, 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 we we were on IP, but yeah, we can yeah. stay there. I mean, God, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. This is interesting because of, like you said, get it going out, acquiring the licenses. Oh, yes, that was right. Sorry, yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So we were after that rabbit hole. There's, there's plenty of rabbit holes we can go down. Um, yeah. So we did, uh, we did Thunderbirds, we did um, Conan, we Infinity, yeah. uh, and then I'd um, got in touch. Well, I stumbled into a, a, an old friend. Um, whose company were doing the Star Trek uh, online game. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and he was like ah oh. and we you know we he, i used to knew him when he was he was working um with heartbreaker hobbies back in the day which was when who used to do mutant chronicles in america and um he was like oh i, I, I we got mentioned we, he mentioned star trek i was like oh do you know anyone at, at cbs he said yeah i'll do an introduction so he introduced me to this head of licensing and you know cut a long story short it was like gosh it must have been about a couple of years of emails backs and forwards oh look you know do you think we can do something and they didn't really have the time they were a very small team this is like before all the new shows had, had really kicked in it was you know uh next gen uh was mm-hmm. over you know there weren't any active shows so mm-hmm. um it was you know they they were just i mean they just didn't really have the bandwidth to cope with like and they knew kind of what was involved. Anyway, so it's just you just got to be persistent. And I, you know, mm-hmm. friendly email every few months. Hey, yeah. have you had a chance? And I even offered to hire someone to do the approvals for them because <laughs> wow. I knew it'd be big. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, they expanded their team and they said. And then I remember getting the email. Okay, we're ready. Let's do this. And I was like, what? And then wow. six months later, we had a signed contract. And uh, I remember Jeez. that moment going, Oh my gosh, we've we've done it. And, uh, and that leveled up the business, you know, I remember when yep. that went on sale, our sales, you know, probably doubled overnight, yeah. and, you know, and the team started growing because we had to right. hire more people and, right. uh, and we'd already been growing because we had, you know, rather than a couple of games that did really, really well, we had lots of games doing quite well and, you know, big Kickstarters and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, we and we were taking on other brands. You know, we helped freely get going with um, you know Mimi Zero and some of their games. And so we had lots mm. of partners who were selling product through us. And so we had lots of fingers in lots of pies. So you know, as a result, the company was growing quite fast. Um, and and then Star Trek happened. And then because of Star Trek, you, you know, again, you, oh yeah, we picked up Kung Fu Panda. I think before that as a board yeah. game. So of course you show what you, oh, look, we're doing, we're working with Universal and Kung Fu Panda and we're working with Conan and we're doing this. And that's all the evidence for the next big license to go, oh, okay, maybe these guys have a clue what they're doing. They're not right. losers in a garage somewhere. And, um, and so we could show sales and we knew what to forecast and how big it was going to be. And, um, and, you know, Star Trek was big hit and uh, yep. it was great to bring it back. And that then helped us get Fallout, you know, and, and yeah. um, you know, to work with Bethesda because, you know, that was also another deal that probably took that. Actually, I started talking to them about working with them when I was doing clothing and Jeez. never got around to it. And, oh, um, wow. and then, you know, it was a constant like, oh, and then I remember a couple of years into starting Modifius thinking, oh, actually I should probably talk to Bethesda because we could do something with them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then that was like a four year long conversation yeah. of balancing emails and eventually getting to a contract. So these, In- these deals, the big deals can take a long time. Fallout and, and, and Elder Scrolls too. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, yeah. Took us, we did fallouts and I think we impressed them with fallout because we must've done several hundred miniatures with them and only, only about oh, wow. two or three have they ever gone. Oh, we want to change something on if they love them. Yeah. So, um, you know, pay them a lot of money as well. So right, right. that all helps. Um, <laughs> you know, pretty insignificant compared to the kind of money they're making from video games, but still, yeah. you know, it's still, uh, you know, a sizable amount that it's they take it seriously and we're a good partner. And that's we extended it to include a lot of other brands, you mm-hmm. know. So that's how we managed to get Elder Scrolls and Dishonored and mm-hmm. 
At, yeah. at the risk of a couple more rabbit holes, because this is fascinating. Yeah, sure. So yeah. in, in addition, I mean, beyond just the fact that you've landed these really robust and well-known and, and obviously good selling IPs, just the sheer production value of what's coming out of Modiphius. I, I mean, now I'm, I'm a little biased here, as Brad said, because my exposure is primarily through the Star Wars adventures. But I, I really think that the production value of the books coming out of Modiphius are literally the best in the business. I mean, there's some some competition there for high production value. But like I look at my shelf and I look at what has come out of your company and they're just absolutely gorgeous. Everything from the typesetting to the artwork to just like we were talking to Kelly, the proofreading, right? So many of the problems with good RPGs are absent from what Modiphius puts out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit we do have our problems and, you know, um, not everything gets proofread as, as much as you'd like. Right. Um, but I don't think there's, I don't think there's an RPG in existence that uh, mm-hmm. doesn't have pages of errata sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember um, it was, I was in my 20s and uh, I'd, uh, I'd been working in clubs a Friday and Saturday nights till nine in the morning, big techno clubs. So mm-hmm. I was a long way from gaming, but every so often I'd, I'd get together with a mate of mine and we'd dream up gaming ideas. And um, and then like, I think I went through like a good sort of three or four years where I wasn't kind of even looking at games. We didn't go into a gaming shop. And I um, started seeing this girl who was also into games and we went into a game store and I was just looked around. I was like, looked at all the RPGs. And I'm like, my God, they haven't changed. Mm-hmm. Like, and they were, they were still black and white. Right. I mean, wait a minute. So this is like kind of mid mid to late nineties. They were still black and white, pages and pages and pages of text, mm-hmm. and black and, and and sometimes pictures that look like you'd got your your college mates to draw them. Right. <laughs> and I was just I just can't believe the industry's not grown up in all that time and like you know and it's not moving on and um and just poor graphic design and you know and I was I was doing all these big dance parties and just beautiful graphic design and you know and it's like i've got it's got to be better and so when i got the chance to do it i was like we've got to do this better we've got to be one of the best i think we were the with first color cthulhu books wow um that were out there and i did you know we just wanted to be great looking you know and um i mean hopefully and good a good read (laughs) and a great design um but you know I, i just think there's no excuse um, especially how accessible graphic design packages are now mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and how it, it's not a, it's not a job that, you know, you have to have had 20 years training in. It doesn't require 50 grand's worth of software. I mean, anyone mm-hmm. with, a, you know, a bit of, of training. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Second, our phone's going off. I'll just uh, <laughs> mute for a second. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, the uh, the you know listening and talking with Chris and and thinking about all the different licenses um, that they're involved with, not just Trek. You know, we talk about Trek, but um, you know, if you go to their website and you look at all the different role playing games, let alone board games, um, war games, you know, so mm-hmm. um, and they have a great community i know as someone who owns more than my share of star trek books like you were just talking about um the errata 
that comes out when they make little yeah. updates. Yeah. Um, they are very meticulous in sending them out. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, and I'll print off the, the latest one and keep it in the back of the book. So I know, but um, as someone who has played video games, the idea of yep. Skyrim as a game, yeah. you know, as a board game fallout that I played going back to the original ones, Mm-hmm. Um, dune we've talked about we've talked so about that's dune, but something we we've gotta yeah we've gotta revisit in a future episode because that's every time i go to the modifius site that is intriguing me and attracting me more and more yeah 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 and and obviously the 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 new books for star trek the not not only just shackleton but well the um, player's guy the game master guide uh, yeah man yeah so um, and they've even opened up a distribution channel through the U.S. You know, I don't Save. know if you ever, yeah, I don't know if you bought from them prior, but it used to ship from. Britain. Yeah, no, no, uh, I, I hadn't. I, uh, I just downloaded some of the PDFs and, um, and right with the player's guide, I logged in. I'm like, whoa, that's too much for shipping. And then it occurred to me because I'm, I'm out there at their British, their international site so you hop yeah. over to you know yay for having a u.s site you know uh, yeah. taking a bit of a turn um i i'm really curious about the freelancing aspect there you go yeah. hey guys sorry oh no, not no. at all i guess no, not at all <laughs> we because we don't have an office anymore so uh yeah occasionally customer service calls come through to our place absolutely oh, wow okay Jeez. i never thought of that so jace you yeah, want personal to service here you say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. seriously. <laughs> call for customer service and you get the chief creative officer that's pretty well I, I i i don't or we don't have a question on customer service so give us a moment but i do have a question um i'm curious about freelancing because oh, yeah. so you've got your 55 or so salary employees but then you said you've yeah. got probably a couple hundred freelancers yeah. who work with you and i'm very curious um because we've been with with you know with dice and mind on our podcast we've been talking to more and more writers because that's mm-hmm. one of the more compelling aspects of of, mm-hmm. of rpgs to us that in the dice mechanics i'm very curious how how does a freelancer land a job big or small with a firm like modifius let's say they they're out there in the cosmos somewhere and they want to reach out how does that work for a firm like yours it is tricky because um uh, often it's the project managers involved in the jobs mm-hmm. the line editors who are looking for writers they'll do their own kind of recruitment or, or ask around if they're looking for people um we are um you know, I've, I've got a couple of projects I'm working on. I, you know, I go out looking for, you know, a kind of a wide range of people. Mm-hmm. I like having lots of different influences. Mm-hmm. Um, and people often submit uh, their information. We, you know, we get a lot of uh, emails from people who just want to get into the industry. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I if I get a chance, I just quickly reply. It's, it's so easy to put something together on drive through you know, even a Word document yeah, you can upload yeah. and make yeah. it free and find some stock arts and just put out some adventures and keep writing them. And at some point you get noticed and start off, you know, you'll get offers of work from other smaller creators, like get noticed. Yeah. And then, we, then we'll then we most likely notice you. And so we, we tem- tend to look for kind of people with a track record mm-hmm. and, you know, good, good people bubble to the top yeah. often. Yeah. 
um you know and we'll you know if someone comes recommended or um you know we um you know i might be looking for specific interest like okay i need people really interested in world war ii and cthulhu mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um you know so we'll get a, you know we'll, we might do a call out for that or we need writers who know the infinity universe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um uh you know typically when we start up a project and we announce it you get a whole bunch of emails like oh i'm a massive fan of x can i come and write on it and then we kind of go through those cvs and right see who might be who's got the best experience who might be um you know good good picks um so and it's of course what you've got to try and do is also be a bit diverse as well Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. not just pick all the bearded white guys uh, which is very easy in an industry full of bearded white guys it is um and um so it's important to try and get a good healthy mix of of you know genders and mm-hmm. people from different backgrounds because lots of people from western countries don't think of co- they think of all the same right. ideas like right um hey russians are all grim and boring then you know like we talked about before like uh, you know a russian doesn't smile because he thinks if you know, a russian person thinks if you're smiling at them you must be an idiot so uh, if yeah. they don't know you, but as yeah. soon as you get to know them, they're your, you know, they're introducing you to their grandmother and drinking mm-hmm. shots of vodka till 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. So um, it's good to have different cultural backgrounds because people think differently and they have yeah. different ideas and they're aware of different historical events that um, maybe aren't a big thing in the West that might be a good influence for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's important to, to try and, um, um, you know, broaden your, or catchment it's like it's like um you know uh it's good to have a healthy population of of people in your, yeah. in your culture you know to yep. more the more varied the genes the the more uh beautiful and diverse your yeah. your civilization is going to be it's classic yeah. real-time strategy you need to do that with your people Harry. yeah so um well kind of trying to do more of that yeah beautifully said and thanks for the insight that's really interesting that's that and you know we, we i think that's something you and i have talked about was just mm-hmm. gaming in general is is how you know i'm not a writer so it's not me but how how does one get involved in it mm-hmm. um with mm-hmm. with major publishers like yourself mm-hmm. so um I have to put some of this in the show notes yeah well, i think mm-hmm. I, like i said do it there's nothing like doing it because nothing mm-hmm. is stopping you making a game like i can literally write a word document now i can mm-hmm. write an adventure mm-hmm. and post it onto drive through nothing's mm-hmm. stopping you it's, it's free to create an account but let me ask you a question because i think i think people are going to be really interested in this let me ask a follow-up question briefly would you recommend for people trying to get in who go to drive through start to to build their their dockets uh is there an advantage in writing adventures within well-known or favorite worlds and or doing your own thing any anything and everything um nice. i mean obviously the uh the gm uh, is it the dm's guild mm-hmm. and the other platforms within drive through lets you write within other well-known mm-hmm. world worlds you know you take a there's a hit on co- on money because you're paying a share mm-hmm. of royalties to mm-hmm. the company but mm-hmm. it's about it's exercising your creative muscles nice. it doesn't matter you know it's like just do a whole bunch of stuff you the first ones will be terrible really terrible probably and then you'll get better and better and it's like any muscle the more you exercise it the more you develop the more feedback you get uh, and honest feedback like right. seriously dude that's terrible 
you know, write something different. <laughs> Don't write science fiction, write fantasy. Yeah. Um, so, but you just got to keep doing it, keep doing it and keep doing it. And, and it takes time. And it's like every job, if you want to be really good at it, you've got to yeah. keep doing it all the mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't get to be a teacher by not teaching. You know, you've just got to work hard at it and, uh, mm-hmm. and put the hours in and it will be boring. Well, you know, if you're writing adventures, it should be fun, but like mm-hmm. you've got to grind them out. You know, it's like right. being a writer. You've got to write pages. You don't get to be a, a writer yeah. without writing a lot of pages every day. Yeah. And your first books are terrible and they get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And awesome. I just, you know, that is the big thing is it's this is it's, this is a job and you've got to be good. And if you want to get attention um, of a bigger company, you know, your writing needs to be good. Like so that is yeah. hard graft and practice and yeah. get your friends to give you very honest feedback about how terrible you are, improve yeah. your spelling, improve your grammar, improve, get do creative writing classes yeah. and get good at your schedule, write on time. Yeah. Like uh, I would rather have a good writer mm-hmm. who delivers on schedule yep. with a good level of writing than an amazing writer who's terrible at the schedule who's never delivering on time. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. He's more expensive as well. (laughs) (laughs) And that sounds to me like, I mean, obviously that's something, whether it's writing or whatever, your experience, you know, someone who delivers on time and, and at, and at reasonable cost, you know, you you can be mediocre and deliver on time at a reasonable cost. And because people get better, like, and if you can see people improving, you'll give them a chance. But if yeah, people, yeah. Are, uh, and you know, not everyone has life problems, you know, especially yeah. dealing with hundreds of freelancers. Yeah, of course. And, this, you know, especially in our industry, you know, we have a lot of people often with difficult life situations, you know, um, because our industry is very flexible and you can, you can do stuff uh, in and around other jobs or difficult lives. And, um, and it's a bit of an escape as well. But uh, so, of course, there's always something coming. Everyone's always has a life disaster, which means they, they need an extension or whatever. Right. And that's fine. Right. But if it's right. every time <laughs> and you have to keep chasing someone to send their work in, like you, you, the people you want to work for you, the people get, who get invited back for new projects, are the people who delivered when they said they were going to deliver and you didn't have to chase them. And they were, their writing didn't need much editing. You know, in fact, Hey, Dave's writing is a mate is great. Like the editor was like, I've got nothing to do. <laughs> you want to give those people more work. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Hey, you've, you have, you have been very generous with time. I just have one comment, one question. So one, um, if you do get inundated with, with a lot of more requests or, or so on, you could blame Jason for asking that question. <laughs> That's, um, fair. That's fair. You know, and Jason, if you plan on making a request or putting some, some stuff in, I would recommend a pseudonym. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's Dyson mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what if you, you, you obviously have, you know, you don't have a lot of time with everything going on, but in little time you do, do you do any gaming still, or do you have a chance to? Oh yeah. I played, uh, Destiny's the, um, the, uh, uh, board game that kind of span out of, um, uh, Joan of Arc the other day. I picked that up yeah. at Dragon Me, our, our con, um, I'm, I, I do spend a lot of time writing ideas um, and uh, gradually prototyping stuff. And, and, and luckily we have a fantastic team that's allowing me to do more creative writing and less 
contracts and um, meetings now, which is good. What else do I play? Defenders of the Realm is another favourite of mine, which is like a fantasy pandemic. Um, and uh, Zombicide, of course. I'm a big video gamer still. Okay. Uh, so um, I love, uh, I love, I'm playing Five Parsecs from Home, which is our little indie war game that we published from Ivan Sorensen, the kind of um, solo sort of uh, storytelling war game. Mm-hmm. And I use, I use Star Wars Micro Machines because it means I can, you know, because they're only oh, like 10 minutes now. And I've yeah. seen the X-Wings and TIE <laughs> Fighters and Millennium Falcons lying around. And, That's great. Um, and, it, and the board is tiny, you know, it's a really small combat area. So um, just quirky stuff sometimes. Um, and I do, you know, I, I ran a three-year campaign for Music Chronicles when we were role-playing that, uh, on some Star Trek, um, and uh, I'm playing, you know, more kind of um, Elder Scrolls stuff now because we're mm-hmm. working on a, a campaign, like a cooperative campaign for Elder Scrolls. So I'm kind of doing some stuff there and um, just whatever I can fit in. Acton Cthulhu is going to be my next thing. So starting a new campaign with wow. a, a new 2D20 Acton Cthulhu because that's like a, kind of completing the circle right life life will be perfect now good for you <laughs> that's awesome well no that's cool because i just started getting into cthulhu i was not a horror gamer so mm-hmm. seeing that hearing that coming out has actually got me excited so teaser what's that say, the interesting thing with acting cthulhu is um because it, it looks very it looks very pulpy right yeah but in our, our version of the mythos is that um there's there is a slim sliver of hope um we we are still you know being ground under the feet of the of the outer gods and the elder gods but it's a bit like uh, and is i went to the minsk war museum and in in russia they celebrate the really big time the heroes the individual mm-hmm. people stories mm-hmm. in or two yeah. that saved uh russia and there's all kinds of stories all over the walls of like this person did this and this person did, and just you know they had a poster showing you if you could take a rifle and shoot a bullet into the exhaust vent of a tiger tank then it you you'd take it out of action for a couple of days Jeez. and but hundreds of people would die trying to do that and it right. was like they would they would just anything to just buy people a bit more time yeah and wow. um they saw the nazis as as undefeatable as we think of cthulhu in the classic Right. stories right just right. impossible we're just dust we mean we, we mean nothing like they're just going to grind all over us mm-hmm. and but in but they still fought on they still uh had a go because right. maybe the next person who comes after me will have a right. better chance and so in our in our version of the cthulhu mythos the gods have a little g they can be one day they can be defeated Mm-hmm. And we're going to get there and we're going to, you know, we're going to die trying, uh, but we're going to get there. Um, and so we have this, the, the, actually the whole universe is called against the gods themselves. It's a, it's actually a long-term vengeance story. We're launching the next prequel to acting Cthulhu in the new year. Um, and it is, a, it is this story about, you know, we're going after them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every last one of those gods, we're going after them. Yeah. And they're, they're coming down. Might yeah. take, a few thousand centuries but we're, right. we're kind of 
Wow, Br- Brad, put the cursor down. You can pre-order Sorry. that after. <laughs> yeah. after we're known, done here. I'm, yeah. I'm known for I'm known <laughs> yeah. for ordering on the fly. Brad's the bought more books while we've been recording than it's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Well, hey, you have been extraordinarily really gracious, generous yeah. with your time, and we really do appreciate it. We've been fans. Yeah, yeah. thank you, sir, very much. Yeah, you'll see us. We're 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 out there um, nibbling at um, at the organization and Twitter. Yeah. Um, right. okay. Just, just so cool. What you guys are putting out. We just love it. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. We've got so, a, um, a, an official discord community coming in the, in the new year. Nice. You'll better join oh. in. Oh we'll yeah. We'll join it. in. We'll oh, plan yeah. on it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Um, All right, guys. No appreciate it. You take care. Well, it's exactly as I thought it would be. Um, what an absolutely fascinating guy. And I know that almost, I, I, I think we probably, I probably sound a little bit like a, like a, a school kid on, on the holiday morning, whatever <laughs> holiday it is. Every time we talk to someone who is involved in this industry. Um, oh yeah. You know, Malcolm, Kelly and so on. Um, you know, going going back all the you know all the way to Shelley when we first started. Yeah. But um, Chris's perspective. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, ruling the roost of of what was once an upstart like Modifius, and how quickly did Modifius become one of the major players? And you know, just in case it's not obvious from the interview, everybody, because I know when we when 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 Chris hung up and and Brad and I just kind of debriefed uh, after that interview, we kind of look at each other and it's like this man has led a far more interesting life than we ever have <laughs> or will. But if it's not obvious. It, he was so humble and so giving of his time and his information. Um, so again, Chris, thanks so much. We, you we learned a lot. Yeah. You wouldn't have known how, how, what his background was or anything Mm-mm. like that. He comes across as such a grounded person who, who runs this. I mean, let's, you know, you have, you have companies like Modifius green Ronin is growing all these companies that are moving up to in effect complement or in effect compete in some ways with like wizards or something like that. And to hear the perspective and obviously, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of the different gaming companies. I've got more than I can, you know, even including Paizo. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I need to, I need to, when we we're going to be redoing the base, but when we do, I might need to add another bookshelf. Um, always an appropriate response. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, but he is truly along with Jeff, Jeff Ashworth, who wrote for WWE (laughs) and everything like that. That's that's great. Chris has a very unique background and it's too bad. We aren't overseas because I think we probably, we could have probably, wasted a lot of his time oh yeah in a pub just getting him to talk about all this oh yeah yeah i i agree well look with that i mean there's so much to talk about but you know i think i think probably you all will do what we did right after the interview and just kind of mull it over process think about think about what we learned just in terms of the industry and what happens when you very intentionally and with much planning take a chance uh, on that note, let's wander over to the GM corner. 
Uh, what? I'm going to pick on you first because uh -oh. I started. I was talking about Modiphius and you were and the the core rule books before yeah. the interview. So, what have you been, regardless of RPG or anything else, um, you know, as of recording, what have you, what's caught your attention, or what have you been reading or studying, or? Uh, well, I have been slowly working my way through Keith Amon's more monsters know what they're doing his third just fascinating book that um i swear reads to me like a fantasy natural history slash travelogue like when i and i felt this way every time i've read his books i i i, I say i'm slowly reading it i should mention because it's just it's dense he's put so much information and it's so detailed uh, including with, you know, he, he always has stats on this stuff. And it's, it's just absolutely fascinating. But I read it and it's like I'm reading natural history. It's like I am living or at least reading in the world of D&D. &D. And it kind of helps to scratch an itch for playing because, let's face it, We've been really bad lately. Part of that's my fault because I was out for a week and we both had stuff going on, but um, we haven't been playing much at all. Reading reading this third book, like the first two, it really, uh, it really is this kind of cognitively immersive experience where it's like, man, there is so much to think about with every one of these monsters, species, NPCs, whatever. And it's just, it's just fascinating, the insights. What uh what non-modifious or modifious have you been no, into? No, I've I've been doing non-modifious stuff as well. I've been looking, continuing to look at um uh, Dungeon World, which is published uh -huh. by my friends at Burning Wheel. Yep. Um, which is a fascinating uh, game, which we will um, save for another day. Yep. Um, uh, the Mutant Chronicles, we'll go into another time. That's something I mentioned with Modiphius. But um, I never thought, let me, no, I'm going to say that's wrong. We've talked about fate. Um, We've talked about so many. The one we really haven't dug into, well, there's a lot we haven't, but one, not the, one we haven't dug into is Savage Worlds. And we, we've been talking about Savage Worlds since we first had the idea for this podcast. Yeah, and they they came out in 2019, I want to say, with a new, in effect, core rulebook, Player's Guide, okay. mm -hmm. handbook. Hand, mm -hmm. hand um, I have the paperback um, version of it that came out a couple years before 2016 or something. Uh, I found the 2019 version online at our local Amazon bookstore, local to wherever you are. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um, so I picked it up and that I will say it's in the GM corner. I haven't started reading it yet, but um, it's not a big one, not a big book. Uh -huh. It's not, you know, it's, but I think it's interesting to read because I'm curious to see how, Savage Worlds, Fate, yep, no, Genesis, no, yep. You know all these sandbox environments. See, this is how it starts, people. This is this is how it starts. Uh, Brad is like, you know, well, I want to talk about this game, and you don't. You should pick up this book. And, no, 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 I didn't tell you it'll, that. It'll, it'll, it'll. You don't have to because we know how this works, and it'll persist until he gets my text like, 
I did. I blocked it. Yeah. And, and, (laughs) and, but you, it's your fault. You were the one that, that put yourself on a limited book diet. Um, that has not been going well. No, I know it hasn't. Well, you know, look at me, but, um, it came up because I was reading an article, um, a blog article about someone who wanted to play, um, a space-based RNG RPG. They looked at um, Starfinder, but it didn't. And no disrespect to the game, it just mm-hmm. didn't tickle this person's yeah. itch. Yeah, right. So they were looking at Fate. They were looking at Savage Worlds. They came up upon Genesis, and um, he starts looking through it, and then he realizes that, oh wait, Genesis is actually the um, the system used for Star Wars. So he's like, okay, well, I maybe bought the wrong game. <laughs> and and then he realized there's so much material out there, much like we're doing with Star Trek and Genesis. Yep. Um, for all these different sandbox gaming systems. Yes. That I just couldn't help because I'm curious to see. We've talked fate. We both have, a, I think, a pretty good understanding of the dice mechanic. Your first you on your own, your first foray into developing a Star Trek game was in Fate. Sorry, I, I wasn't listening. I'm on my phone looking up the Savage World score. Real quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to laugh and I'm going to choke at the same time. <laughs> sorry, no, but you, you are absolutely right that that I I was intrigued by Fate because I thought, especially Fate Accelerated, because I thought it would be uh, easy access. It would be a, a, a quick on ramp, um, and we all know how that's gone for us. Yes. Well, you can, so you can hear Brad he, clicking. He's looking it up too. You no, 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 I'm not. I'm oh, not okay. clicking. I'm not clicking at all. Uh-huh. Um, and it's the adventure edition. Just so I was. That but, was my next question. Yeah. So just, just put, happened to put be it in asking your, for a friend. The the Explorers edition is another good version of it too, which but you may already have that one. So, but, no, I don't have um, anything Savage Worlds at all. There's a the Adventure Edition is a is obviously came out in 2019. The Deluxe Edition, it's out there for nine bucks, um, is a scaled down. It's not. It's it was Savage Worlds until this new broadened version came out. Oh, um, I see it right here. Yeah. Yep. So, but point being is, is I'm fascinated by these sandbox systems. Yeah. Um. And so what's funny is, is this this person who was reading was like, okay, I wanted to do something space on my own. Yep. So I thought I'd pick up Genesis. Then I realized, oh, wait, Genesis has its own die system. So he had to go back to the game store after buying a couple Genesis books to get the dice set, even though then he found out later on that the dice app was free online. <laughs> so after his irritability about that, then he realized and put it together about the Star Wars Genesis connection. And it was an interesting discussion about, okay, is Genesis the Star Wars mechanic 2.0? Or did Genesis come out before Star Wars and just wasn't published till later? Did they design, did Jay and team design that narrative dice system beforehand, integrated into Star Wars, and then publish Uh, the sandbox after? I believe we know the answers. Really? Uh, Well, sure, because... Because uh, uh, my understanding is is Jay Little had been 
working on the narrative. The narrative dice system obviously was his. It came out of, he designed that for Warhammer 40K. Ah. And then what we know as the system was, I believe, now I've never played that, so I can't comment. Uh, I've I've listened to, um, no, I I, I can't, yeah. Uh, That was then seriously revised for Edge of the Empire. And but that, but it goes back to there was this this and it was much like Twitter, you know, we don't see the seedy underbelly argument trolling that goes on, and we know it's out there. Yep. But we yep. don't see it because of how we both run our Twitter account mm-hmm. for Dice and Mind. But it was an interesting article, an article, and then commentary comments on the bottom. Yep. About which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was yeah. did Genesis? pre-exist as a pre-platform no, Warhammer or whatever so. I don't and so. just unpublished and then they uh, revised and published it yeah and so is it really like a two or a 3.0 or so we don't know it was mm-hmm. just it was an interesting article and it got me thinking yeah. about you know if someone uses fate you know I know that there is um Dresden files yeah which is a a fate-based published game. It's a separately published mm-hmm. game. And I want to say it uses, um, it doesn't use regular fate. I want to okay. fate, say it uses fate accelerated maybe. Okay. As its engine. Right. So what out there is using Savage Worlds? As, a lot of things. You know, as an engine. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I, that really long answer to a very short question. But. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's a good place to close though because it brings to the fore that we live in an incredible time, with and in a positive way with all of the stuff going on right now, at home, abroad, wherever you are, with all of the of the bad things going on with with pandemic and populism. At the same time, look at all of the worlds being created for the screen. Look at all of the material coming out for RPGs. Look at all of the books that are elaborating all of our favorite canons. I mean, the this is a rhetorical question because the answer I think is no, but for people for for people our age right it middle aged us and you all our listeners all four of you maybe five now uh i mean i don't think any of us ever imagined a time at which we would be having children of our own let's face it we could actually just end that comment right there but we would have children of our own and then more star trek and star wars and Foundation, and Lord of the Rings, and Middle Earth. I mean, it's nothing short of incredible. I, I'll be honest with you. Until 2008, when Robert Downey Jr.'s um, character, Tony Stark, donned the Iron Man outfit, I thought Iron Man was the song that uh, Black Sabbath sang with Ozzy Osbourne, and that was right. it. Um, right. I didn't know that there was... I, I didn't follow Marvel Comics. Nope. I knew Spider-Man. Yeah. And that's just one example. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yep. No, the only comic I ever read was Mad Magazine, uh, which which is a you know grossly underrated. Anyways, now that we're drifting again, it's a heck of a time to be alive if you enjoy 
just some real good geekery, whether it's sci-fi or fantasy or any way you want to mash those up. Um, as we say goodbye for this episode, just a reminder, we are midway through our first blitz of five back-to-back episodes of interviews. We are already scheduled through the next five. Wait until you see what's coming. We'll simply tease with more authors, composers, thinkers and educators. Um, The sky's the limit. We are trying to bring the most interesting and often unheard people out there for our favorite canons and yours to your ears. So as always, be well, stay well. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day. If you have to buy someone a card, we did. And we will make it a Star Wars card. Make it. uh, My wife last year for Valentine's Day got uh, got a Spock Valentine's mug. Uh, which I think is great. So I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm not, Brad's laughing, but I'm not, I'm not kidding, right? I have been and always will be your Valentine is what the mug says. And she didn't really get it, but I thought it was brilliant. Take care, everybody. As always, we'll see you next week. 